If you're a Pilates instructor looking to learn and grow using science-based tools, the Pilates Instructor VIP membership is for you. This is a continuing education resource that includes monthly workshops, weekly research reviews, programming support, full-on classes, and so much more. Okay, you can get your seven-day free trial right now with the link in the show notes. But without further ado, let's get on to this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. We are going to have an incredible time today because we are talking about another juicy and relatable topic, balance exercises, okay? Balance exercises are something that we can incorporate with any population, but especially older adults, which are, which are a common population that we work with in both group and private Pilates, which is why I'm dedicating an entire episode to the topic. Now, just to give you a framework of what we're going to be discussing today, we are going to start by just having like a common definition of like balance and like what I mean by that. We'll talk about how it relates to strength to allow us to make um, some good decisions in terms of our exercise and spring selection. We'll go over a little bit of literature as like um, in the sense of like, why is it important to work on balance? Um, especially with older adults. And then we'll talk, then we're going to dive into a little bit of the ACSM guidelines on how they recommend to improve balance in older adults. And we'll talk about what that looks like in the Pilates studio. So at the end of this conversation, you can go ahead and leave uh, with something to inspire you to enhance your programming and help out your clients. So balance. Uh, like the most simple way I would say is like balance is like your ability to not fall. <laughs> right? If you lose your balance, you fall, okay? Or stumble, okay? Now, a little bit more specifically, if we were to think of like the three dimensions of any exercise, there are three dimensions. There's a strength component to any exercise. There's a range of motion component, and there's a control component. Strength, range of motion, and control. Now, control is kind of like, it's like anything other than strength and range of motion, right? That's kind of how I'd put it. Control is like your ability to perform the movement as you intended. When you stand on one leg, you intend not to fall. When you want to run fast, you intend to run fast. If you're doing the exercise coordination on the reformer, you intend to do it with a particular rhythm, uh, timing, uh, you may intend to point your toes, et cetera. It's the way you intended to do your movement. Now, balance is within that. Okay, so balance would be in the bucket of control. You have strength, you have range of motion and control. And balance is really what we're going to be discussing in regards to control. Now, with this, this is one of the, like, if you take anything from this episode, take this. Strength and control are inversely related in terms of um, how we want to bias them in, in an exercise. Now, I'll, I'll define that a little further. So strength is like, uh, is the maximum force that you can apply onto an object one time. When you are biasing strength in an exercise, the load needs to be so high that you cannot do more than 10. When you go higher up in reps, like you can physically do it, you start to get a burn, that's endurance. So when we're talking about strength, like it's really freaking heavy, okay? Um, 
if the strength demand is really high, we want to have the control demand be really low. Meaning we don't want to be on like a wobble board when we are squatting something super heavy. It makes no sense. If you were on some kind of wobble board and squatting, you couldn't lift as heavy of a weight because the control challenge is so high. So in this, if we were, if we're going to look at the opposite end of this today. And so when the control challenge is really high, okay, like, like you're, you're on a BOSU ball kind of thing and you want to, you know, hang on, you don't want to hold anything really heavy or you don't want to pull a heavy spring when you're standing on one leg. Okay, because you're probably going to fall over. So when we have a control challenge, we're going to keep the strength pretty low to start. And then you can add on strength as that's going to challenge control a little bit more. So, con so balance is within control. For balance, we're trying to like not fall or not stumble, right? And it has an inverse, meaning an oppositional relationship to strength. Now, when we talk about balance, right, you can justify doing balance with anyone. It just tends to be more appreciated with older populations because uh, there's multiple reasons. The cost of falling at 94 is significantly higher than 24. You can get injured at any age, but much more likely at 94. So the cost is higher. Now, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll put the study in the show notes, but um, one balance, single leg balance in middle-aged and older adults is a predictor for all-cause mortality. And what that means is that um, if, what the, or what the study did was they, they assessed over 1,700 people to see if they could stand on one leg for over 10 seconds. Those who could, by the end of the study, it lasted about 10 years, um, at the end of the study, the people who could stand on one leg were much more likely to still be alive than the people who could not stand on one leg for 10 seconds. So standing on one leg, just that is an independent risk factor. When they, when they um, played with the statistics and they, they took out like cardiovascular disease, diabetes mellitus, respiratory um, conditions, when they normalized BMI, meaning your body mass index, it, it was still an independent risk factor. Balance is important. And within that same study, they cite that balance has a, it has like a, like a very slight decline, um, like, a, you know, 25, 30, 35. It's not really, it's not even like significant, right? But it has a very steep decline after like 60, 60 years old, right? That would be like the line where it gets really steep. Okay, but we start to get like a little bit, um, uh, how do you say, like a little bit steeper in their 50s. But, the, but like the sixth decade of life is the one where it's like, if you haven't started working on your balance, you better. Because okay? it, it, it tends to progress as time goes on. Meaning if, um, if you're having a loss of balance at 60, it's going to be worse at 65. It's going to be worse at 70. It's going to be worse at 75. Under the conditions that you do nothing about it. Now, for this uh, fall, like, like loss of balance leads to falls, right? <laughs> Hashtag science. So brilliant, right? You lose your balance, you fall. So, um, so with that, that's logical, right? We can all predict that now falls. Okay. Falls are, are one of the most, well, are one of the leading, um, fatal and non fatal incidences in hospitals. Okay. 
they are an accidental incident. They're one of the highest ones out there, okay, from falling. One in four older adults within the United States falls every year. Now, I know if you're listening to this outside the United States, that statistic's going to be very similar. Okay, a 65-year-old is a 65-year-old. Okay, but I'm just pulling, that data is pulled from the ACSM guidelines. And they pulled it from the United States. But I'd be willing to bet it's pretty similar around the world. In a, outside of numbers, falling is a problem uh, for older adults. And one of those things that we're concerned about is fractures, meaning you fall and you break a bone. And especially with like postmenopausal uh, females, I mean, it could be anyone, but the culprit for an osteoporotic population would be a postmenopausal uh, female. And with that, um, they're more likely to have osteoporosis, which means that they have uh, like larger holes in their bone. They're less dense and therefore more brittle. And you're more likely to have a fracture as a result of a fall. Now, there's all kinds of things we can do to help improve bone density, right? Um, we're not the greatest at it. Um, however, one of the best things you, we can do and that we're actually pretty freaking good at is reducing falls. So like, for example, in this population where like the bones are more brittle, it's really like the biggest problem is falling. So if you eliminate falling, like you've really helped that person out. Okay. However, a lot of times when people find out they have osteoporosis, it's after a fall. Now, regardless if someone has osteoporosis or not, falling for an older adult is a problem, a big one. Um, you could break all kinds of bones, but like one of the, one of the ones that we are most, um, how do you say it, like most cautious about or worried about would be a, a hip, right? So if you if you break your hip or you break your femoral neck, uh, meaning like the the proximal part of the femur, okay, that's going to that that will lead to a a non voluntary or non elective. Sorry, that's the word non elective. Uh, hip replacement. Non-elective means like you didn't sign up for this. You fell in the kitchen because you tripped on a throw rug. That's classic, right? Um, so you threw, you tripped on a throw rug uh, in your kitchen and you broke your hip. You need surgery right now. And the for older adults or for elderly individuals, okay, three months after having a hip replacement, they have an eight times higher risk of death. And they may not be, they may not die from the actual hip. They may die from, from a, um, an infection. They may not have anyone at home, right? So maybe they're living alone. So now they're in a skilled nursing facility. Okay? Um, so they, they just may end up losing their independence as well, even if they live beyond that. Okay? Now, plenty of people are fine, but this is from a meta-analysis. Okay? This data is from a meta-analysis that three months after hip fracture, elderly people have an eight times higher risk of death. And the meta-analysis is in the show notes. It is called uh, meta-analysis. Excess mortality after hip fracture among older women and men. And that is my case for like, this is important. Okay, and you can totally have fun with it. Okay, the rest of this episode's fun, I promise. I just had to like lay down some science and some facts because it, it's important. Okay. And it doesn't take a whole lot. Okay? It doesn't take a whole lot to go ahead and help prevent falls. Because there's, there's another meta-analysis called Exercise to Prevent Falls in Older Adults, an updated meta-analysis and best practice recommendations. 
Okay. This was a 2011 meta-analysis. It's a little bit dated, but I imagine um, helping someone with balance will be quite similar today. So here are the recommendations. Do at least two hours per week. Two hours of like balance exercises per week. Maybe like two Pilates, two Pilates sessions a week. There you go. Now, within these exercise sessions or balance sessions, it's not just balance exercises. That's boring. It's combined strength, cardio, and balance in a single workout. Well, that sounds like Pilates. Okay. Or it can be. It can be because sometimes we don't get the heart rate up. But I have an episode on that. Um, so with that, it's what they're saying is do what's called a multimodal, a multimodal session. A multimodal session means that you are doing different modes of fitness within the same session. And older adults need at least two hours of multimodal training a week to help reduce falls. And most of the emphasis should be on balanced training within, within these two hours. That's what, they're, that's what they're recommending is like really focus on like control challenges within these two hours. Now, that's just assuming that they only exercise two hours a week, right? Which still puts them underneath the ACSM guidelines for, um, for physical activity. The ACSM guide, oh, here's, this is every episode. It's like almost every episode, okay? Here's your daily dose of what the physical activity guidelines are. Okay, physical activity guidelines for healthy adults at any age. I don't care if you're 22 and a collegiate athlete. I don't care if you're, you're LeBron James or if you are an 84-year-old, um, male or female. They are 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise or, or I'm sorry, and, not or, and two to three resistance training sessions per week. Or you can just do your cardio faster. You can do 75 minutes of moderate intensity exercise plus two to three resistance training sessions per week. Now, with that, the what I would say is like the absolute like if you only had two hours with someone and they were an older adult, I would spend a good amount of time on balance. Okay. Because we that's high value, especially as they're um, beyond the sixth decade of life. Okay, we want to get their strength in, we want to get the cardio in. They're both predictors for mortality, but we also want to go ahead and mix in balance exercises. Now, the, the American Academy of Sports Medicine, or American, I'm sorry, American College of Sports Medicine, the ACSM, uh, recommends uh, four different types of ways that we can help with balance, help with balance exercises. And um, I just threw an extra one in here. So the four that the ACSM recommends is to reduce base of support, do dynamic movements that perturb center of gravity, stress postural muscles, and reduce sensory input. The additional one that I would add to this, this is anecdotal, right? Don't go to the ACSM, would be dual tasking, doing multiple things at once. So it challenges someone's cognition. Now, with this, the first one was basic support. So we're going to go through these like one by one, like how can you help someone in the studio, right? You are working on balance. You heard this thing called base of support and you heard reducing it could be helpful for balance. What does that mean? Now your base of support is the area between your contact points on solid surfaces. Now what that means more specifically is that like when you're standing, 
the space between your feet is your base of support. Now, aside from extremes, like a side split, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like just normal standing. The, the wider your feet are, generally, the easier the balance is because you're going to have a larger base of support. The more narrow, the harder it's going to be. Like the most narrow base of support you can have is like on one foot or on one foot lifting your heel up. So your base of support would be one foot, follow the foot and toes. So it is the area between your contact points, which are generally your feet. If you were standing and then your hands were on like a wall, then your hands would also be part of your base of support because they are supporting them. Now, the way base of support works is that your center of gravity has to be within your base of support. Center of gravity, or, or you can think center of mass, right? I, I know there's a difference, but I always get, it's like splitting hairs. We'll just say they're basically the same. It's like the center of where your body weight is at. Okay? That needs to be within your base of support or else you fall. It's just the way like the world works. Okay, there's exceptions to anything, right? Like a Cirque du Soleil dancer can probably, or a Cirque du Soleil acrobat can probably bend the rules a little bit. But for you, me, uh, Joe and Clara, um, we need to stay within our base of support or else we fall. Now, a way that you can easily test this is like you just stand up, right? So you stand up and then notice what your body does when you stand on one leg. So if you're standing right now, and it's not dangerous in your environment, you can just stand on two feet. Don't try to control anything. Just be a human and lift one leg off. And you're going to notice that your body shifts towards the leg that's still on the floor. It's because your body's really smart. It knows, it knows how to not fall, <laughs> right? Um, and then, like, you know, like, like when you're in a plank, if you've ever done, like, a plank, um, you, a lot of times it's with weights. I always forget the name of it, but I'll describe it to you. So, you, so you're in a plank. Um, let's say you have some weights or it's just body weight. And you take one hand off and you lift the weight up, like, towards your shoulder. You bend the arm like a low row. And the cue is don't let your butt move. Well, your butt moves because your base of support changed, right? So that's why it always moves a little bit. Right, you can mitigate it and stuff like that, but that's just like another example of like it's just normal that that the butt would move when you lift the hand up for that. Now, um, if that example didn't land, okay, maybe the standing one's a better one. It's it's that's more applicable to what we're doing and um, easy to test. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. My only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five-star review. Leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the Pilates industry. I do this 100% for free. I do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast. It is 100% for free. And you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five-star review. So we have our base of support. Now, the way you would, like, here's like an easy framework to make a base of support harder or just a way to kind of test your balance, test someone's balance, specifically an older adult. So just, just standing, right, would be like the easiest thing to do. You're just standing. Then bringing their feet, they're side by side, 
but the feet go together. With the feet together, sometimes that's enough for someone. You start to see the wobble, right? They start to wobble side to side a little bit. Sometimes nothing happens, right? But that would be like step two. So step one, like feet are wide, step two, feet are together. Now, oh, um, the next step would be a what's called a tandem stance. Uh, sometimes people call it a staggered stance. Tomato, tomato. Now, what that means is that you're like toe to heel. So um, one foot in front of the other, and they're right next to each other, toe to heel. That would be like where I would go with that. You, you could draw a line between that and, and have, your, have your feet further apart, you know, forward and back like you would a lunge, right? That could be a little bit easier than toe to heel. Uh, but for a lot of older adults, when you go toe to heel, you start to see it. You start to see the wobble um, happening. Okay. Now, if you could go beyond that, it would be more challenging on base on like basis support to be in a single leg stance. Single leg stance just means you're standing on one leg. And your ability to stand on one leg for 10 seconds, or not maybe at your ability, uh, maybe your ability, um, but the ability for a middle-aged or elderly adult, okay, their ability to stand on one leg for 10 seconds is a predictor for mortality. Now, you don't have to tell them that, but what you can do is you can go ahead and measure their single leg balance. And I recommend you do that with any older adult that you work with. Or not, or not even, like, they don't even have to be classified as an older adult, which would be 65 years older. If, so, if someone were 50, I, you know, in, or up, I would test it, right? Like, why not catch it early? You know, it takes you two minutes to test someone's single leg balance. It, and it can have such high value. Like, like, what if you're working with a 52-year-old? They went on single leg balance, and on, both, on like their right leg, they could only hold it for six seconds. Then on their left leg, they held it for 7.5. That's alarming. Like, that's not going to get better. That's not going to get better at 60 and 65 without being addressed. Or it's, or it's unlikely. Sorry, I'm so nocebic. Um, but it's something that's worth, that is worth addressing. Yeah. And what's awesome is that balance exercises work. They improve balance and they reduce falls. They actually do what they're designed to do, which isn't always the case. Okay? So that's a base of support, right? Have your clients like, play around with it. It's such an easy thing to do. You, you could just do it in like simple exercises. Like, like, like let's say you're standing, a, a, like doing a standing chest expansion on whatever equipment you have available. You usually have your legs, what, like hips width apart, wider, or whatever, wherever you want them. You could bring their legs together. Or maybe you're like, I, I, I always do it in Pilates V. Yes, we'll bring their toes together now. Don't go in the V. The V makes the, the V will make them more stable than having their legs parallel. Or maybe have them do it in a tandem stance. Play around with base of support during common exercises. It's such an easy way to add balance to stuff you're already doing, okay? Now, there's also dynamic movements, okay? There are dynamic movements that you can do to help perturb, or that, that can challenge center of gravity, and also you can do stuff to help perturb their center of gravity as well. So a simple one would have someone in a tandem stance. 
right? This would be this would be more applicable to like one-on-one -on -one sessions, or maybe if you're doing a group session that's specifically for older older adults, this could apply. Um, just have them walk in tandem. Now, think like uh, <laughs> at least here in the states. Sorry, I don't know why this is the example that always comes to my head. Think like uh, the like a DUI, like you get pulled over for a DUI and the, the officer is like walk in a straight line. That's tandem stance. That's tandem stance walking. That's actually an exercise for older adults. It challenges your balance. Okay. I, I recommend doing it in the Pilates studio. So, so for this, you know, this usually lands a little quick, a little easier and one-on-one, -on -one, but having someone just walk in a tandem stance, if they can't do that, that's not normal. Right, like, like that's like they should be able to walk in a tandem stance, and so what I mean by that's not normal is like uh, you should be able to do that, and we found some we found somewhere for you to grow, right? So the way I would I would express that to a client is like, oh wow, like 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 we found somewhere for you to improve your balance. It's awesome to see, and then I would continue to work on tandem stance like uh, movements, right? Just to challenge them, and for if someone can't walk in a tandem stance probably having them just in a tandem stance by, the, by itself can be challenging. Okay. Now, if you wanted to take that one step further, whether if it's dynamic or static, meaning if you're in a tandem stance walking or not walking, um, you can have them turn their head, right? So you can, you can mess around with what's called with, with, your vis with their vision. So as they're walking or maybe not walking, Tell them to turn their head to the right. Okay, their eyes need to follow too. Like look at the plants on the right, look center. Look at the plant on the left, look center. Now, not only is that, that's, that is a dual task because you're doing an additional thing, but it's also a balance challenge by messing with the visual system. Okay, so even if the feet are planted and you have people turn their head side to side, it might be enough to create that wobble and improve their balance. You can also, if they were standing, right, going back to basic support for a second, but if they were just standing, you can also have them stand on something softer, right? Something softer is going to be harder on their balance. And if they stand on something harder, it's going to be easier. So standing on, on, um, on like hard surfaces is a lot easier on your balance than standing on something soft. Now, when we talk about the dynamic movements, right? So like doing a tandem stance on a mat is going to be a lot harder than doing a tandem stance um, on wooden floor, meaning walking in a tandem stance. Now, for other dynamic movements, you can also just like have someone walk. Like you could have them like walk around equipment, right? Like have, it's basically walking in a circle, but making it a little bit less silly. Like just have someone walk around the equipment. If they have, if you have room, right? Like your reformer is not against the wall. Have them circle around it, right? Can they make the turns safely? Hey, most people can, right? But if they couldn't, that would be concerning, right? That would be a fall risk because you're going to have to turn the corner in your hallway to get to the bathroom, right? So, but if you can't turn the corner around the reformer without being a fall risk, that just shows us that there's somewhere to grow. And you can help improve the quality and quantity of someone's life by catching that. Um, other things you can do is like stepping over an object can be really helpful, right? Because that's working on what's called foot clearance, being able to clear an object. Because sometimes people trip on like a curb, for example, 
or a throw rug in their house. Uh, those are classics, right? So, so getting someone to really um, not only like not only step on something, but actually step over it and clear it. Now, it wouldn't be like a Pilates long box, right? Like that's massive, but something smaller, like a yoga block, you know, two yoga blocks, some something like that. Like getting them to step over things, you know, could be quite helpful. Now, so that was like dynamic movements, and you can also do dynamic movements that perturb center of gravity. Right. And so that's like anything. Like we can do that so, so well in Pilates. We're freaking good at that. So that could be like you're standing, um, you know, there's a spring to your side. You could be holding the pulleys on the reformer. You could be holding a handle on a spring wall, a Cadillac, a tower, anything. Right. And then you're, that's, the spring is like to the side. Right. So it's, it's to your right. Think like side arms and things like that. And then you can just move the strap around, right? In any cool choreography that you love, sounds like Pilates, right? And try not to move your center, right? Or um, stand on one leg and try to do the same thing. Stand in a tandem stance and try to do the same thing, right? Move the pulleys around, right? While in those, um, like, like the, the more challenging base of support stance, stances. Now, this kind of overlaps a little bit with stressing postural muscles, but with, with older adults, okay, we also want to make sure like the calves and like the ankle muscles are really strong okay? because we want them to one, be able to react fast if they lose their balance. And then also we want to keep the, the ankles um, and the feet strong just in general. So doing something as simple as a calf raise or some kind of active uh, dorsiflexion is super, super helpful. And like active dorsiflexion, for example, is helpful for foot clearance. Okay. Um, so we oftentimes don't really think about loading active dorsiflexion. Dorsiflexion, by the way, is when your toes come towards your shins. Um, so that would be like if, if you had, I'm just going to use a kettlebell as an example, um, but I'm sure you could use thoroughbands and stuff too. If you were like sitting at the end of a table, let's say a Cadillac, right? And your feet were hanging off the floor and you hooked your foot under a kettlebell and then you flexed your foot. So the kettlebell came off of the floor and then you pointed your toes. So the kettlebell went back on the floor. That would be an exercise that would be working active dorsiflexors, particularly your what's called your tibialis anterior. Um, with that, if, if that's, I know it's challenging in a podcast or just any kind of audio to convey that message, you could uh, YouTube tibialis anterior exercises and tons of stuff will come up. Okay, but loading dorsiflexion could be helpful. Um, then just the opposite, like doing calf raises, meaning like calf raises to fatigue. Uh, like the reformer ones are cool. Like when you're lying down, uh, they're usually not enough load to get someone's calves really strong. Um, so getting vertical in, in doing it could be even better. Um, or if you could just do them single leg and like throw, them, throw on as many springs as you can on the reformer. Okay, totally healthy. Now, two other things that could be helpful um, that are really easy to apply would be what's called toe walks. Toe walks are like you're on your tippy toes, right? Your heels are lifted and uh, it's like you're wearing high-heeled shoes, that kind of stance. And you just walk, right? You walk to a destination. 
and where how far that is and where that is is going to depend on the location depend on the abilities of your client um, and things of that nature but that's keeping you in uh, plantar flexion and therefore going to work the endurance of your plantar flexors known as your calves um, so with that uh, you also have a small base of support because you only have the forefoot on the floor the forefoot is like you know, like the the front of your foot like where the ball of the, like you can, you can think ball of the foot and toes are on okay so those are toe walks okay having a client do that can be pretty interesting you can also do heel walks heel walks are the opposite you're in dorsiflexion so you only have your heels on the ground okay and you walk like that okay, you can have your clients walk to a destination walk back and do it as many times as you see fit or that that you feel is, is a good challenge okay so those are ways to, like stress postural muscles like basically load it right like load dorsiflexion load plantar flexion um you know any kind of balance is going to work it but then particularly uh, toe walks and heel walks can be rather helpful now the last two things we're going to talk about is like reducing sensory input and dual tasking okay so reducing sensory input okay that is like how i talked about with the vision earlier okay during any exercise um you can mess around with the vision you can have someone turn their head like you can think like how we do in like chest expansion right we turn the head uh, but if you're just doing like a single leg balance, a lunge, uh, anything, heel walks, okay, you can just add head turns. You can also close someone's eyes, okay? When you close someone's eyes, that's harder than head turns. Now you are eliminating the visual system and they have to rely on their proprioception and their vestibular system. Other, other, in, other, um, inputs within the body that help with balance okay so that that can be helpful if you deem it safe sometimes people um like if i taught that in a group class like eyes closed or someone just felt intimidated um one just let it be optional and then two i usually just throw in like a little side joke of like hey if you notice you're falling your solution is just open your eyes meaning like like they because sometimes people take like our cues so seriously like like way too seriously right um, like they're too committed. <laughs> like it's like, don't be that committed to my cues. Meaning like, um, I, I've had it where like people, like I don't tell them that. And so their eyes are closed and then they're, they're like doing a single leg stance with their eyes closed. And then they just like follow, like they don't fall like on their head, but they would basically fall over and then try to like catch themselves with their eyes closed. It was so weird. It's like, just open your eyes. Um, so anyways, I learned to tell people um, the obvious, which is, um, you know, if you, if you begin to wobble or you start to fall, you can always open your eyes and that solves the problem. So, you, so with this, you can have head turns. Uh, you can also close someone's, eye, someone's eyes. Now, in addition to that, you can have them stand on a softer surface, like I mentioned earlier. Okay. Standing on a hard surface is easier. Okay. A more firm surface is easier. That is, like the hardwood in your studio, the tile on your studio, the cement, the linoleum, whatever it is. Okay, the thing next to the mat. Okay, don't put them on the mat. Start on the hard surface, then work your way to softer surfaces. Um, like so, like like Club Pilates people out there, this is something I used to do when I used to work at Club Pilates. We had like extra thick mats. Um, so we were, I was in like one of like the original studio or not original studios, but I forgot what they call them, like retro studios or something. Um, but anyways, we had like. Um, older equipment kind of things and um and and so we had a really thick mat which is really comfortable 
But what would happen is that um, the way Club Pilates is like you have a station in between reformers. It's an awesome concept. So, um, so people would stand on their mat when they're doing like lunges and scooters and stuff like that. And, and with that, you know, you start on the foot bar and then you start to get your hands off the bar and, and you want them to do scooter without their hands on the bar. So people would start to lose their balance. And you know what? They were stand. A lot of times they were standing on the thick mat. So if you notice that, if you're like, oh yeah, I work on that environment. Okay. And you're and this isn't something you already incorporate. This is something you can take away from just investing in you and listening to a, a Pilates podcast. Have your clients stand on the wood instead of the mat. Okay. That's like, I'm just using scooter in a club Pilates environment or any similar environment as an example, but that can be in all kinds of scenarios, right? If you notice that like balance is becoming problematic and they're standing on something soft, put them on something hard. Now, if they are, um, the opposite is true as well. If you want to challenge balance more, put them under a mat, right? Or if there's other um, things that are challenging, in your studio, you can start to do that. And like Bosu balls are awesome. They're kind of like extreme, uh, meaning like they're like, whoa, like a huge control challenge, right? Um, uh, things that are tend to be more applicable would be like standing on a, on a really cushy mat or they have like the foam pads. They're usually blue. I forget, maybe, are they called Therex pads? I don't know, that's a guess. But they're like thick blue pads. You see them all the time at physio clinics, I own one. And, um, and, and they, they are really awesome to have. So if you don't have those, um, already, um, I'll, I'll, I'll look in the, I'll look on Amazon. I'll throw, um, a link in the show notes. I make no money off that. Um, so anyways, they, they're really cool to have. And all it is, is like, it is softer. And what happens with softer services is that you have reduced sensory input. So you have a reduced ability to understand where your feet are in space. So it makes you, um, one, it heightens your, the, uh, the proprioception that you can feel, and it makes you rely on other systems. So that is reducing sensory input. And the last bit here, uh, this wasn't part of the guidelines, but it's common practice, would be dual tasking. Your ability to dual task is a sign of uh, becoming more of like an expert in a, in a motor skill, right? Like, Think like driving, okay? Like, like when you're first driving, like you probably can't handle a phone call. Now I'm not talking about holding the cell phone. I'm not encouraging illegal stuff. I'm talking like having like a, like a deep conversation, hands-free phone call, right? You probably need to like focus on the road, right? Especially if you're in Southern California with me. Oh man, we have traffic and um, drivers are interesting. So point with that is like when you're a novice, you know, it's harder to dual task. And you got to focus on the activity. Now, when you become better at a task, you can do more than one thing. You can be on the phone and do that task. Okay? Like it could be driving or maybe a safer one would be cooking. Right? You, can, you still won't burn the food and you can talk on the phone. Okay? Now, with balance, you can, when, balance like when a balance activities become easier, something you can do is add a dual task. That could be something as simple as a light conversation, right? Maybe a client is like, you know, super focused and, and they're like looking at the picture on the wall to hold their one leg balance. And then you go, oh, hey, Susie, how are you, how's your cat doing? They, were in, they went to the vet last week, right? And then they start talking, right? So now they're thinking less about the activity. Sometimes that's enough to knock them off the side, right? So now they like lose their balance. It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Or... 
they start talking about the cat and they just nail the activity, right? Like now, like now she can talk about her cat and hold a one leg balance. Okay. And a lot of life is dual tasking. Okay. More than one task at a time. You can also give someone a cognitive um, challenge. Uh, so we do this a lot in like neuro rehab. We were um, rehabilitating, like if a physio were re rehabilitating someone with a, that went through a, like a stroke, for example, they might have them do a motor task while um, doing like a cognitive challenge. Now, some like the ones we do in, in like physio are, are just kind of mean. <laughs> like I have a hard time with it. It's like count uh, backwards from uh, from 93 by sevens, right? So then you really have to, I have to think, right? It's like 86, 79. I hope I did that right. I'm not lying. I'm on the air. Uh, but point is, that you give them like a cognitive challenge. Like that one's just mean and hard. Uh, what I've done before is like had someone read, right? Like, oh, could you read this like waiver? Um, that usually works. Although some one time I handed that to someone who needed glasses. Um, and so that, <laughs> that didn't work out because the print was really small. But you can just have them like read, you know, do something. Um, another thing you could do is like have like play catch. So I used to have like one of the squishy balls and um, I'd be teaching, let's say, um, oh, it's like a leg, a standing leg press. Okay. It's called like a million things, but a standing leg press on the one to chair. They're standing in front of the chair and they're, they're pressing the, the pedal up and down uh, with one leg. And when they got really easy, it's like, oh, how can I challenge their balance more? Uh, I knew how to progress it in other ways, like do a step up. But, um, but I wanted to challenge your balance more. So I started throwing a ball. Like at first I'd throw it right to their chest, right? Then I'd start to random, I'd make it random, right? Like, like not too far where they'd have to reach and fall, but like maybe to the right shoulder, left shoulder, left shoulder, left shoulder, right shoulder, left. You know, it was, it was just a little bit less predictable. And that was a way to improve their balance in that exercise, okay? Providing a dual task by playing catch. These like the dual tasking things, these are really easy to apply. Choose them wisely, know your people, keep it safe, but you can easily just toss a ball back and forth with the client to challenge their balance with the dual task. And with that, that is what we had to say or what I had to say in regards to balance. I hope you got something good out of it. We talked about what balance is in regards to like the, the three dimensions of exercise. We talked about why it's important, especially with older adults, as well as specific strategies that you can use in the studio right away to help your clients. That is reducing the base of support, uh, dynamic movements uh, with or without perturbation of the center of gravity, uh, stressing postural muscles, uh, reducing sensory input, and dual tasking. And with that, go ahead and have an incredible rest of your day. And I'll see you in the next episode.